Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Here we go. Here we go. We're into the final weekend of the Premier League season. After that, it's it's over. It's done. It's dusted. Finished. Kaput. End of story. It's a season that will have kicked the proverbial bucket. The bucket that many of us have been sick into during the course of the season, but it feels like it's just whizzed by once again i forget to put my phone on silent before i start recording but it has it just seems to have just gone just flashed past because i remember as i'm sure you do the the exuberance the youthful exuberance the optimism the hope that we all felt back in august of course we're gonna get a center half before the first game of the season we wouldn't be so reckless so foolhardy so careless as to go into the first game of the league season without having proper central defenders available to us because Lauren Koscielny is going to be away and Callum Chambers, well, he's about to go on loan. We don't really want him. And Rob Holding, we've only just bought him from Bolton. Surely he's not ready for his first Premier League game against a team like Liverpool. No, that's not going to happen. And we need a striker. Of course we're going to get that striker before the season kicks off. We've had all summer. Look, we went and tried to get Jamie Vardy in June. You know, we wouldn't have just sat in our hands. We wouldn't have done nothing. This is a well-run, hugely efficient organization that we are fans of, and they will do the right thing before the first game of the season, and everything's going to be A-OK, and we're going to win the league. You remember, guys? You all felt like that. I know you did. Of course we all did. And, And now here we are. Back in reality, terrible, terrible, soul-crushing reality. (sighs) I mean, it's had some good moments. It has had some good moments. Let's face it, there's no point saying that everything has been shit. It just, no, that's not true. I can't accept that. I won't accept that. And I can't accept that. So what I've done is I've put together a compilation of the best bits of the season that you can you can recall you can remember all those great bits here it goes there was part of me right that was actually going to put together a compilation of the best bits and then i thought seems like a lot of work for something that really doesn't mean an awful lot but look there have been good moments there have been 
good performances. There was that uh, amazing win over Chelsea. There was that 19-game unbeaten run at the start of the season after we lost that first game. I think we, we didn't lose a Premier League game again until December. And there was there was actually some genuine hope. There were some great goals. You know, you, you think of Mesut Ozil scoring that goal. I know it's only ludicrous, but whatever, whatever. Lots of teams play ludicrous and they don't score goals as good as that. So I, I don't buy into that thing. But really, since uh, since December, since we lost those two games uh, in a week against Everton and Manchester City, that seemed to really dent the confidence. And we got through January relatively okay, but end of January to end of April was... To say it's a mixed bag would be doing it a, a kindness, I think. it's It's a mixed bag, but both bags are just different kinds of shit, like horse shit and dog shit. So there's your mixed bags. Just mix them together in the uh, proportions that you prefer your bags of shit to come in. 75% horse, 25% dog, 100% dog, whatever your whatever your preferred mixture is as you make the cocktail of shit that is uh, that period in Arsenal season. And then, of course, things have kind of turned around since then. We've had seven wins from our last eight games and we're in with a sniff of uh, reaching the top four if things go our way on Sunday. If we beat Everton and if Liverpool drop points, blimey, we could we could scrape in there again and we could, of course, win the FA Cup. Of course, I really hope that we win the FA Cup. I want us to win the Cup. It's a trophy. You can't get cross about us not winning things and then not want us to win a thing. That's something that's the cognitive dissonance that goes on there is, is beyond me, really. But, you know, th- this run here... And the run that we had at the start of the season, that 19 games, and then this run here where we've we've dragged ourselves out of the mire, uh, having mixed our bags of shit, it, all it does for me is tell me that this is a team that has far more potential than we saw, that is capable of doing better than it has done. And that only adds to the frustration, I think. That only makes you go, where, where the fuck was that for three months? Where were, where were those players? Where was that um, application? Where was that commitment? Where was it all? <sighs> And look, Chelsea have been worthy champions, I think. We're a long way behind them, certainly in terms of points, but we could have been and should have been in a title race with the squad we have and with the the players we have. And uh, it's hard not to look at this season as anything other than just a bit of a mess. But look, it's been a it's been a busy podcasting week, of course. We we've had two Arscast extras, one on Monday and one on Wednesday. So we're up to date. We're up to date with everything because we dealt with the games, uh, the game last weekend, the game against Stoke, very enjoyable game. We dealt with the game against Sunderland in midweek, the Jordan Pickford heroics and Arsenal finding our way through uh, with Alexis Sanchez uh, getting the goal. So I thought uh, that I would just discuss things, the season as a whole and what's going on in general uh, with Amy. Amy Lawrence is with me in a couple of moments' time to discuss all that for this week's pod. Just to give you uh, a quick heads up, we will have uh, the winners of our competition for Boilk Mugs. We've got a couple of those to give away. And I tell you what, given that it is the last uh, podcast of the season, I'll give you a chance to win a couple more of those a little bit later on. If there is any team news and what have you before I finish recording this i will do that for you too uh, before the end of the show and of course uh, we'll have uh, an arsecast extra next week and as usual we will uh we will do something oh we do have a pre 
pre-FA Cup final uh, Arscast, of course, because we're doing the live Arscast Extra from London next Thursday. So that will be next Friday's Arscast, and uh, we'll have like a roundup of the season, a roundtable kind of an Arscast uh, the following week. And then I am hoping uh, throughout the season to do a few more um, Friday Arscasts. Normally it takes the summer off, but... Uh, if I can do something some weeks, I will do it. Uh, I'm going on holidays a bit in July, so I won't do it then. But if I can if I can do stuff like I did a few weeks ago with Donald McRae, for example, where we might talk to an Arsenal fan, but not necessarily about Arsenal, not necessarily about what's going on, because there won't be very much going on in the summer. But maybe if I can uh, nab some interesting people to talk to and just do those kind of uh, conversations, that might be something to keep us going through the summer. And James and I will be here for most of the summer to do uh, Arscasts extra as well so there you go right let's get on with the show and as i said it is the uh, the final arse cast of the season the final premier league game of the season where has the time gone i just don't know uh, with me to discuss it all is amy lawrence hi amy where has it gone indeed hi andrew can i ask you this question let's start off um start as you mean to go on i guess as they say um how how bonkers is it or are we just immune to it how bonkers is it that we're going into the final game of the season and we don't yet know who is going to be in charge of arsenal football club for the for next season it would only be more bonkers if we hadn't been pretty much here exactly three years ago Mm. uh the situation is remarkably familiar going into the final day uh, a bit of luck and a fair wind to try and snatch top four with an FA Cup final. It's not an identical situation because three years ago the Cup final was against Hull uh, and now it's against Chelsea, who I think everyone would agree are slightly more complicated opponents. And I think the position in terms of trying to snatch the, tap, the, the, the final Champions League position was trickier. Uh, well, sorry, is trickier uh, mm. this time than... than, than than last time in that it's it's not in Arsenal's hands. Um, but it is bonkers. Uh, and the only thing I would say is the bonkersness is enhanced by the fact that there's bonkers situations, sort of, it feels like, across the club. Mm. If it was just the position of the manager, which I think was the main issue three years ago, that's one thing. But I think you're looking at a club that feels more unstable as a whole entity than it did three years ago. And that's maybe the thing that is the bigger worry. Yes, Arsene Wenger's future, the managerial situation, is obviously massive in terms that it extends its tentacles across the club. But there are so many things that leave me having big questions. Clearly, there's a whole bunch of important players whose futures are equally unresolved and up in the air. Um, the, there's been so many rumours in the last few weeks, is Ivan Gazidis going anywhere? I mean, is Dick Law going somewhere <laughs> sometime soon? Andres Yonker, who was in charge of youth development, went off to manage Wolfsburg. And that position is up for grabs. Uh, you know, what's going on with Stan Kroenke? Is his situation the same as it's ever been? Um How's everything in in scouting, in marketing? Uh, uh, You know, is the club doing as well as it's supposed to be in in all those other departments? It seems to me like that kind of paralysis that we've talked about quite a lot over the, you know, recent times um, is something that is impacting across the club. So I guess that's a very long 
<laughs> answer to your question about how bonkers is it. Yeah, it's bonkers, but I think there's a lot of uh, instability, a lot of kind of uh, a lot of issues that are in a kind of unresolved status, which is really not a particularly healthy situation to be in. No, I mean, does it does it feel like a, almost like a rudderless ship in many ways that we don't quite know who's making decisions, what decisions are going to be made, when they're going to be made? I mean, whatever about the manager, he's been there answering questions, well, not answering questions about his future in fairness. He's batted them away pretty much every time. I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing, whether it's because he doesn't know or whether it's because he doesn't want to say. You know, we can speculate on that till the cows come home, but as a as a club, the ability to manage this particular situation it seems seems to be beyond us. Yeah, and that's where this um, this director of football uh, scenario mm. was particularly interesting. It was a, a, a an itch that Arsene Wenger um, found quite scratchy uh, <laughs> when it was presented to him in a press conference recently, and I think that's interesting in that. You know, the, the model that the club has been run at uh, in a very, you know, it's prided itself on what it defines as its stability. Um, I was talking to someone only yesterday who's a, a big Arsenal supporter who was saying, in spite of everything that's going on, there's a bit of me that, you know what, in this mad football environment we've got, I kind of love the fact that our manager's been there for 20 years. And even though that was in accepting that, you know, all the, all the questions about whether it's fulfilling its full potential and, and so um, that's been a badge of this club since it moved to the Emirates. It's, you know, it's got this model of stability that underlines everything that it does. Mm. And the irony, of course, is it doesn't feel very stable at the moment. Um, but if you, ha you have a model where the manager clearly has a big say in so many areas of what goes on, uh, the board at the moment are a board really in name rather than in, in power. And then there's the, the big boss guy who owns the majority of the shares on the other side of the pond, whose influence is, I don't know, it's hard to even know how to describe it. Mm. But if you had a director of football type person, if you had someone with status within the club who was a, a football man, I think it would be a helpful situation. Obviously, Arsene thinks that it's completely the other way. Um, can we? I mean, can but, we explore that just slightly? Because you know, I, I think when it was put to him at the press conference the other week, you know, is there going to be a director of football coming in? It felt to, to Arsene Wenger like someone was saying, "We're going to bring somebody in who's going to make football decisions that you either can like or lump." Maybe that's not the uh, the idea, but that was certainly seemed to me to be the the implication that he took from it. But if you look at the the, the club in general, if you look at what's going on, if you look at what needs to be done this summer, what needs to be done in terms of bringing players in, moving some players on, deciding the futures of certain players who uh, who are heading towards the end of their contracts, that a director of football isn't necessarily somebody who's going to come in and usurp the manager, but somebody who could come in and support the manager. I mean, do you think that's something that Arsene Wenger sees that person doing, or is it just a, a complete threat to him and, and the way he wants to work? It's interesting, isn't it? Because if you reflect on by miles, the, the most golden period of Arsene Wenger's time at Arsenal or probably time in football period, that was when he was in partnership, and I use that word advisedly, with David Dean. 
they were a team. In many ways, they were the team behind the team. Um, and it, what David Dean did and the relationship he had with Arsene was essentially what one imagines a director of football to be doing, i.e. you're a director, you're on the board, you're communicating at board level and in charge of sort of executive decision-making that affects football rather than the business. Uh, and you're in conjunction with the manager in the sense that, you know, the famous story of Arsene watching Gilberto Silva at the World Cup and saying, oh, I like this guy, and David Dean going off to Brazil, camping outside <laughs> the training ground um, until he got to speak to the presidents and convince them that him being allowed to join Arsenal was the right thing to do, and then delivering him to the training ground in Austrian pre-season and saying, here you go, Arsene, I've got you what you want. <laughs> um that's the dream scenario. It's not very, it's not very realistic, realistic in terms of most football clubs don't have the luxury of operating in that way. You know, they were great friends, remain great friends, as well as being exactly uh, singing from the same song sheet in terms of their football ideas. And, and they dovetail brilliantly. The, 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 the things that Wenger was good at and the things that David Dean was good at when they were at their peak together complemented each other superbly. Arsene had the contacts and the um, and the eye to spot the players that were going to be a success, and David Dean had the the nose for business and the contacts in the business world of football to go and get the deals done. It was a sort of rare perfection. Mm. I don't think that kind of thing is is doable or achievable very easily anymore in football because everything's so fast moving and and what have you. But in some ways, that whole, you know, English football has always had a resistance to, oh, the idea of a director of football uh, in an old-fashioned way, being a threat to the manager. Um, but it's just a title. But essentially, what you're looking for is somebody that the manager trusts to, to help him and support him. And whether that's um, somebody whose contract's coming up and Arsene can turn around to his ally and say, this is one for you, you know, when he when he doesn't want to have a difficult conversation with someone about the future mm -hmm. uh, or whether it's just negotiating with other clubs or whether it's, you know, helping out to find that man who's going to be the head of youth development. You know, is that, should that, who's going to, is that Arsene's job? Is that, who, whose job is that to find the next head of youth development? It's an important job at the club. Mm. Who's interviewing? Is it someone with a football um, feel or is it someone on the business side? Um, there is something lacking there and whatever you want to call it and how I want the relationship to work, it can't be a bad thing for us not to have that, quite apart from the fact that planning for the future and taking those big, who's going to be the next manager decision or mm. whatever it is that, you know, you, it's, it's, you, people have been saying for years, well, who on earth is going to, who's going to choose when, it, when, when <laughs> the time comes? Well, and I mean, still no closer to who that person is with any, with any great feeling of like, reliability mm. i mean is it a case that he he doesn't trust the people that are there at the moment to appoint a person who could work with him in that way or is it just that at 67 years of age he doesn't see himself 
in that in that position where he he wants to work with somebody else. I mean, he's he's often spoke about how when he leaves the club, he wants to leave it in the best shape that he can possibly leave it. So even if he wants to stay on, let's throw out a crazy imaginary scenario where Arsene Wenger wants to remain as manager of the football club. He must know that you know his time is finite given his age and everything else. I mean, is it not then part of his remit to help try and future-proof the club when it has to transition from the Wenger era, because it can't be anything else other than an era. He's been there for so long. I mean, so why, why if, he, if he has that feeling, if he feels like he needs to leave the club in the best shape possible, is there resistance to this? I mean, does it speak to a, a lack of trust at board level or between the board and Arsene Wenger? I mean, I, I think Arsene, it's possible, let's throw this back at you, that he genuinely believes that he is safeguarding the future of the club in mm. the decisions that he's making. Um, you know, some people will interpret some of his uh, thoughts as maybe almost as if he's trying to sabotage things. Like, why would I do that? But I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. I, I do think he always does take decisions and act in what he genuinely believes is the best interest. He wants the club to be healthy. He's a bit of a dreamer and a romantic and he thinks things are going to be better. He looks on the bright side. But... You can also say, is the whole director of football thing almost a... It's not really about that, but it's about something else. Mm. And that what's really at stake here is the fact that maybe there is a disconnect now between him and between the board and that the relationship is not as uh, um, communal as it once was. Is it... Is mean, it, yeah, it, sorry. it wasn't very long ago that the, uh, you got the feeling that anything Arsene wanted, the board were absolutely a million percent behind and that everything was just like a, 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 a sparkled with magic dust and that everybody agreed on everything. Probably wasn't that straightforward. And, but they got that impression. They used to want to, want to try very hard for everybody to be singing the same songs. Mm. Um, I don't know that that's the case right now. And maybe the debate on a director of football is just a reflection of the fact that there's a... You know, it's about a, an internal sort of battle, really. Yeah. Is it normal that we haven't heard anything from Stan Kroenke or is it normal that we haven't heard anything from Ivan Gazidis? Uh, we, we understand, I think, all of us, that this is a situation which is... is it's complicated. Whatever, whatever way you think the club should go, whatever direction you think the club should go in, you know, we we understand it is a complex situation that just firing or, or not renewing the contract of Arsene Wenger and putting a new man in is, you know, it's not the panacea to all the problems that the club has. Um, and people have to tread carefully, I guess, to a certain extent. But for months, we have been looking for, as fans, I suppose, looking for something from the club to, to at least reassure us that they understand what fans are going through or have the best interests of the club at heart. And there hasn't been anything uh, like that from board level at all. Is it just them backing away in case they say the wrong thing? Is it them just saying, look, we're not going to add fuel to the fire? Or, or what's going on there? Because it's very hard to understand. It is. And going back to your uh, original question, I think you have to separate, is it normal for Stan Kroenke to say anything or not? Or is it normal for Ivan Gazidis to mm. say anything or not? Because Stan Kroenke can say as much or as little as he wishes, and that's always been the case. Um, an owner is not obliged to speak. I think if you try and um, go back through 
a gazillion press cuttings since Roman Abramovich has been the owner of Chelsea and try and find the amount of times he's publicly said anything. It's very, very scarce. Um, that's not, it doesn't have to be in the owner's remit anymore. If they want to speak, you know, go right ahead, but they're not obliged to. A chief executive, I think, has a greater um, expectation that he will be a communicator. Uh, he will represent uh, what the club, to an extent, on the non-technical sort of football training ground side, is thinking, doing and wanting. Um, and I think that the lack of a voice from there has not been helpful. I'm sure that it's because that there's a fear of it being misinterpreted, saying the wrong thing, adding fuel to the fire. But the silence uh, leaves a vacuum whereby people like you and me and anybody out there can speculate to their heart's content about how people are getting on, what they want, what they think is going to happen to the club. Mm. Um, and, and because there's an infinite number of people doing exactly that, it all goes back to Arsene. Because nobody else is saying anything. He's the only one who's, uh, who's in the firing line for, for, for a reaction. Well, okay. Well, you know, the, the, I don't think we're going to find any clarity here. What we can say with some assurance is that uh, <laughs> this is this is a season in which Arsenal have underwhelmed, underperformed. I think again, if we were to if we were to take the the overall context of this season, bearing in mind that we could still finish in the top four if things go our way, if we beat Everton, if Liverpool drop points to Borough, somehow we would end up in the top four again. You know, I'm not in any way optimistic that that will happen, but nor would it be a surprise just the you know based on the way things have gone for uh, for years now with Arsenal. But the the disappointment I think stems in general from another campaign in which the team has been unable able to mount a sufficiently uh, sustained title challenge that when we got to I won't won't even say the business end of the season we just slumped in mid-season and I think that more as much as anything is the measure by which we we try and and engage a season you know we could it could still be a success of course in the sense that we could win the FA Cup we can have a trophy and everyone will will feel great about that and they should feel great about that but the the, the Premier League, having gone from second place last season and a fortunate second place, could end up in fifth position. But it's it's felt like more of the same that the the issues that we we've had that we went to try and address in the transfer market with 35 million for Xhaka, 35 million for Mustafi, a striker that uh, 70 million pounds for a striker that Arsene Wenger won't even put on the bench anymore. That that these are the these are the main issues that we should be looking at when it comes to judging this season from a footballing point of view. Yeah, you know, I think what's interesting is when you you look back to that Arsenal Chelsea game earlier on in the season. Um, one of the one of the better performances of the of the kind of era, if mm. you like, of the maybe last three or four years. People came away from that game with genuine ignited hope, uh, and quite rightly so. I mean, there was a a blueprint there where it looked like something was clicking, and I think when you when a team does well, um, you look at the the players in the team and think are they are they playing kind of more or less as well as they can play, and on that day against Chelsea, I uh, defy many people to go through that Arsenal team and oh, some of them underperformed or could have done a bit better. They were fantastic. You know what they're capable of when you see something like that, 
But if you look at the season as a whole and you say, ask yourself the same question, how many Arsenal players consistently have played to somewhere near their top level? The answer's not mm. n- not that encouraging. No. And thereby hangs the eternal frustration of Arsenal, which is you know that there's something there and they're not far away. But actually getting the best out of themselves uh, enough, it, it, it just doesn't seem to happen these days over the course of a whole season. Um, I, You can forgive certain players because, for example... You know, you talk of Jacques and stuff, and they're both new, and I think you have to give any new player some benefit of the doubt of adaptation. Um, other players who have in form and ups and downs. The amount of games where I've just thought of Santi Cazorla has <laughs> driven me, me mad, where you think, oh, and what a gigantic miss he's been. And, and you can say, OK, if that's the case... Is that just bad luck or maybe do you try and manage your squad so that if certain important players are unavailable, you can cope? Um, it's been really hard to cope without Santi. Uh, Danny Welbeck being out for a long time was a, was a, a big miss. Um, you know, uh, they have to analyse things that haven't gone well, but it's whether or not you trust the players and the club and the environment to raise all those levels Mm. in the space of one summer when there's so much uncertainty that's the bit that makes you wonder and there is a bit of me that that suspects just because of the sheer level of things that are up in the air a little bit you know irrespective of who the manager is things might get a little bit worse before they get better and that i don't know we're all guessing taking a very short break from the conversation with Amy right here because there might be an ad or there might not. Either way, we'll be back right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I mean, do you do you feel like the uncertainty, the off-the-pitch uncertainty, the boardroom uh, silence, the constant speculation over the manager's future? You know, we like to think of players as professionals, and they are, and they go out and they try and do their best, but they're human as well. They're not blind. They're not uh, deaf to what's going on. Do you feel like that has had an impact on what's happened this season, that when when it got, when got things got a little bit tough, it became in some ways something to kind of hide behind until it got to the point where they just couldn't anymore, where they were in some ways insulated um, from the frustration until that Crystal Palace game where it became very clear that, no, hang on, you're not getting away with this either. You know, we can be mad at the manager. We could be mad at Stan Kroenke. We can be mad at Ivan Gazidis. But hang on, you're right here in front of us as well and you, you've got a, a part to play in this. But, I mean, it feels like the the instability in general has had an effect on what's happened on the pitch. 
I think you're right, and I think that um, the psychology of being a, a, a football player nowadays uh, is probably harder than it's ever been. Um, they obviously have support, uh, people to talk to available if they want want to, um, but for most people who are kind of maybe in their late teens, early 20s or going into their 30s, living such a public scrutiny life, um, you know, the amount that they're paid is an absolute irrelevance, frankly, compared to how they feel. You know, I was watching, it's a funny thing, I was watching the um, Arsenal-Sunderland game and it was quite relaxed but atmosphere-wise. Uh, it was just in the crowd with a couple of mates and, you know, people were chatting and it was sort of that kind it was, of vibe. It was just really you well, and your mates, yeah. actually, yeah. <laughs> right, um, but there was one moment where one of the Sunderland players, and it probably says a, a, a lot that we were only sort of semi-paying attention, um, went running for the ball and uh, and he sort of threw himself at it in the att attacking position and and kind of flew through the air and like fell over and missed the ball and landed on his backside. And those of us in, in you know me and my mates and a few others in the stadium sort of sniggered a bit and had a bit of a laugh because you know someone fell over. It's, it's yeah. funny, it's you know, what people do. Um, I fall over a lot, by the way. Feel free to laugh at me. I'm very clumsy. Uh, <laughs> uh, and any, and I, just in that split second, I just thought, I, I really cringed. And I thought, oh, God, how awful for this guy. I don't, I don't, you know, this, this bloke, you know, 30,000 people or 40,000 people or how many people were in the stadium all just laughed at him while he was doing his job. Um, and he was trying. And... It's, yeah, it's really embarrassing, you know, being constantly in that kind of spotlight where anything you do is subject to instant scrutiny. Never mind what's going on on social media or what people say if you dare to look and things yeah. like that. But you just, you are exposed constantly. And at Arsenal, this season or the last couple of seasons, where the atmosphere and the tension and the friction and the division of fan base and so on and Wenger in, Wenger out has become you know, an issue that doesn't go away. The knock-on effect means every time the players are not in the sanctuary of, of London Coney, where I think they go into training and can have a pretty nice time, really, because it's, you know, going going and playing football with people you mostly like uh, away from public, public glares is nice, mm. you'd hope. Um, but getting out there with cameras and pundits and and critics uh, uh, waiting for you to put your foot in it, which has been hanging in the air around Arsenal quite a lot this season. Uh, you know, what prepares you for that? Mm. What prepares you to just be able to feel relaxed and enjoy what you're doing and be focused? What prepares you for not going home and feeling crap? What prepares you for, or makes it, you know, money doesn't make that feel better. Mm. Money doesn't prepare you and it doesn't make you feel better. Yeah, you know, we're talking about young-ish people here who are under a really, really impossibly pressurised amount of scrutiny. And once things start to go a bit wrong, as they did when the slump happened for Arsenal, every game it's more, pre it's more people waiting for, waiting for you to... I wouldn't want to go, go and do my job and have a load of people waiting for me to fail. That's, that's really hard to then go and do your job well. Mm. Yeah, your heart's beating faster. You, you know, you, you, you're edgier. 
And funnily enough, those, just those physical responses to feeling under pressure, that tightening of your muscles means maybe you're just not running as fast as you would normally or as freely or you're not running as quickly and do you pass the ball or do you just have a think and a look and everything you're doing, it's a fraction slower or more laboured or more panicked. And you multiply that across the team and then, okay, maybe team's struggling a mm. bit. Who's to blame for that? I don't know. It's a difficult one to turn around and stick the finger in a, 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 play, a young player's face and say, ah, yeah, Bellerin, Oxlade, you know, whoever you want to be having a go at, yeah. even if it's a slightly more experienced player, Giroud, Ramsey, Walcott. Yeah, well, look, I mean, that's, uh, I suppose, in some ways, the, the job of the manager to prepare the players and prepare the team. And, I mean, look, they brought on a, a psychologist and everything this season, and uh, I think we need to be looking for our money back from that guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one, one, man, one man who has, um, I suppose, stood out and played very well this season, despite frustrations, is Alexis Sanchez. Um, uh, and his future and the future of Mesut Ozil, along with f- the futures of players like Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Wojciech Szczesny when he comes back, Jack Wilshire when eventually he comes back um, from his injury rehabilitation. I think there's Kieran Gibbs. There could be you know Carl Jenkinson, who's a little bit on the on the fringes, of course. Matthew Debushi on the fringes. These players, but it, when when it comes to Alexis and and Ozil in particular, these are the players that were supposed to bring Arsenal to the next level. This was supposed to be the next generation of what Arsenal were going to be financially unrestricted, able to bring in and attract these top players. I suppose two two questions. It's something James and I spoke about a bit on the, the Arscast Extra on, on Wednesday. Is just, A, how difficult is it going to be to, to keep Alexis Sanchez? And if we can't keep Alexis or Mesut Ozil or both, how, how much more difficult then does it become to attract players of that caliber again because they'll see they'll see those guys come in and then and then leave um that that does cause some kind of reputational damage to to the club and for players when they look at it from the outside yeah i think you're spot on and i think that was the uh if you if you rewind in a way the whole uh remarketing of arsenal as a, a a status club um Probably you date back to the the terrible summers of losing Fabregas and, and and Van Persie and so on, where in everybody's minds, Arsenal were the sort of suffering weakling um, club to go and pick off. You know, like a little bird trying to protect the eggs in the nest who's mm. not strong enough when the boots come. I mean, that was how Arsenal were perceived at that time, both financially and because there was a bit of vacuum in terms of. Um, management of transfers and, and, and negotiations. Uh, the first step was just stabilising, and I, I think not selling the best players was, was, was a good step in the right direction. Yeah. And then putting players on long-term contracts was another step in the right direction. And then, obviously, the sea change with the signings of Urzel and Alexis. Um, so, if you... if in the case particularly of Alexis Sanchez, he's been and gone in three years if he does leave this summer. The signal that that sends in terms of reputational damage is a quite a strong one. Um, so for that reason, quite apart from the fact that he's a brilliant player who has uh, in a way been probably the, the, the one player who's been the least damaged by all that psychological nonsense I was just rambling on about. You know, he doesn't, yeah. I don't think that scratches the surface with him. He's, he's a unique kind of a guy he's a phenomenon that 
give them a football and the rest doesn't matter, um, which, is, which is so refreshing and invigorating and brilliant to see. But it would be a really tough one for Arsenal to swallow, I think, on double levels if, if he ends up trying to, uh, trying to move or the club get an offer that they don't feel that they can refuse. Can they keep him just to, um, just for the final year of his contract? If there's no way that he's going to sign a new deal, can, can they just keep him? And can they? Of course can they, they can. They can, but mm. it's a choice. Yeah. And and much as you'd like to think that they give that choice very careful thought, the history tells you that that those choices are not, you know, are, are made pretty quickly when when there's the financial sort of sense of things into play. Yeah. Uh, and I would worry that if a big offer came in, even that the reputational damage and the loss of the player would be offset in the club's eyes by, well, it'll go for nothing in a year. They couldn't sell him in to any, uh, another English club, could they? I don't know. I mean, who knows? <laughs> I, I'd like, I, 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 you know, who's going to make the decision anyway? <laughs> the million-dollar question there, isn't it? Um, so, uh, but that, but I, I, I just briefly add that. Um, had the real good fortune uh, last week to go and see Wojciech Szczesny uh, over in Rome. And it was really interesting talking to him um, about stuff. And obviously he's in a really interesting position. He's a guy who, when he left Arsenal, felt a little bit pushed out, had maybe um, flatlined a bit in terms of his development. You know, when he first came in, he was a, a young goalie of great promise. Um, Went off to Rome, has had two years there, uh, and I think anybody who's watched much of him would realise that he's changed a lot in those two years. Uh, the, the way that he's developed and grown in terms of his goalkeeping, in terms of his, uh, all his qualities that he brings on the field, and also to an extent growing up a bit off the field, that he's got an awful lot going for him, this guy. And he's got one year left on his deal, what does he do? Does he know what's um, happening? But, you know, I, I think it, as yet, there's not been negotiations with Arsenal. So yeah, he's been allowed to go into that last year. You know, to an extent, once you start doing that, the ball goes more and more into the players' court for the obvious reason of, you, you know, you face that situation of, you know, if, if they don't sign a new contract, do you keep them for a year and let them go potentially for nothing or do you cash in? Mm. Um, I don't think that he'd have much trouble finding a, a pretty nice club um, if he was available on the open market at the moment. Wojciech Szczesny really rated very highly for how he's done in Italy. And the thing to remember, though, and these are the sort of questions that I wonder about, is... He's a quite a rare example of... He's actually an Arsenal fan and was an Arsenal fan before he even joined the club. He cares about the club. And obviously that's quite a rare thing in modern football. Uh, you don't get it all that often. Um, it's not that, that care that he has for the club is not so massive that if whatever is on offer at Arsenal doesn't compare very well to whatever is on offer elsewhere in terms of his career or if the club decides to sell him, he's going to get on with it and go and make the best of his career. Mm. And quite rightly so. But he has, you know, he grew up at the club from the age of 16. He supported them as a boy in Poland. Um, he's got it under his skin properly. He knows what it's all about. He knows what the club's all about properly. And 
are the club just going to make a pure decision on, uh, you know, OK, we've got Czech, we've got Ospina, we've got Martinez. Uh, Chesney might be worth X if we sell him. You know, we decided that we didn't really fancy him a couple of years ago. Is that what's going on? How deeply are they thinking about this? How deeply are they thinking about what they, what they stand to gain? Bringing back maybe somebody else has to, has to move on. Uh, and they gain a real Arsenal person in that dressing room. Um, with big, he's a big character, Wojciech. Mm. He's a he's a strong personality. You know, are, there, are there that many strong personalities in the dressing room at Arsenal? Do you want to let him fight it out with Petacek for number one? Um, are they going to just say, okay, you're you're available? Let's see where the highest bid comes in. I don't. I've no idea. Not sure he knows at the moment either. But be careful with things that are valuable to the club and that doesn't just mean monetary value value yeah look i mean i think a lot of people would love to see uh chesney come back because i think the goalkeeping situation is one that will require some work in the summer if ospina is going to go check's not getting any younger you know here's a guy who i think has you know he has matured um on and off the pitch over the last couple of years and um you know in the absence of anything more obvious or better in the transfer market like you say here we have a guy who's already made 200 appearances for the club something like that um and has gone away and come better which is as much as you can ask from a loan spell isn't it so but i mean that that situation is replicated across the board with with other players like oxlade chamberlain Uh, again we hear about how important it is for him to stay but there don't appear to be moves on the on behalf of the club to to make that happen it's um it feels like there's real inertia there's stasis there that there's no uh, dynamism behind any of the decision making whether it's the manager the board the what what a so-called director of football should be doing or anything else but isn't that linked to the fact that there is this inertia well this stasis as regards who's going to be the manager who makes yeah. the decisions yeah. um, about anything. But I'm, Yeah, I know, I know. But I mean, the, the, somebody, there are people who have the power to make decisions um, whether or not uh, Arsene Wenger makes them or not. There, you know, there are people in positions who can make those decisions. I mean, I was, there was something... Well, uh, only within reason. I mean, for example, if you take the Chesney situation, mm-hmm. whoever, yeah, there are people who can go to his people and say, we want to offer you a, a new deal. We want you to come back. We, we want you to sign for another three or four years. This is the salary on offer. You know, how do you feel? This could have been done six months ago. This could have been done a month ago or or whatever. But you need a nod. You need a manager to say, yeah, I, we want him back mm. as well. And I don't know if that, I don't know if they've had that conversation yet. Maybe it's just like, well, we, you know, we're a bit busy with the end of the season and the cup final and everything else that's going on and that it's just another thing that's on the back burner. Yeah. Maybe they have had that decision and maybe they just have decided they're not ready to enter into kind of formal negotiations yet. Um, but it, it, it's all very slow. And I don't think it's, a, you know, as somebody pointed out, if Arsenal miss out on top four to Liverpool... That first game of the season when Arsenal weren't ready mm. because of a slow summer, these things do have there are consequences to actions or inactions. Let me, let me ask you one final question before we go. Um, when do you envisage there being any clarity in terms of what's going to happen with the manager? Uh, I know it's not going to be 
before the FA Cup final, but how quickly after the FA Cup final, regardless of the result, do you feel like we will get something either from the club or from Arsene Wenger himself about about what the future is going to hold for this football club? As you were asking that question, I was really desperately trying to think of a witty answer. <laughs> <laughs> Failed miserably. Um one would imagine it makes sense to do it within the next couple of weeks after the season finishes. Weeks. I think once you're going on any later than that. I mean, look, I'm trying to cast my mind back mm. to the, the the last time and my memory of it was that it was maybe three or four days after the win against Hull in the Cup final. Uh, it wasn't the next day. It wasn't, you know, it was... It was it might have even been five or six days later or a week. It was it was sometime in the middle of that week, middle to late week, I think, after the after the cup final. Mm. Um, some kind of gauge, but that's a gauge based on winning the cup. Uh, so I don't know whether that's an influence as well. We're all guessing, aren't we? Yeah. Um, hmm. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. That's. It. I'm just. I was just looking back to see. Um, how quickly after the uh, the FA Cup final we got that uh, announcement about Arsene Wenger's uh, thing? So I'm just going back here, just in the in the archives. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, t- contract extension imminent. Uh, that was on the 19th of May. <laughs> oh my God! I mean, it's also it's also <laughs> also familiar. Hey, Andrew. It is. It is. Um, yeah, okay. I, I don't have the exact date here, but uh, yeah, it looks like it was literally a couple of days uh, afterwards. Okay. So yeah, look, we, we'll we'll see what, what trajectory it's going to take. We just don't know. But um, I just go on. Yeah, I just think I, I hope that. I mean, from my point of view, and I don't know what others think, but regardless of what the decision is, if he stays or goes, um, I just hope that there's a bigger picture feeling of change um, around the club that lots of people in lots of positions take a good look at how they're doing and whether the areas they're in can be sharpened up a bit and that it's not just on the manager and we're not just looking to the manager to be the, you know, the guiding light, the decision maker. We all have to stop and wait until those things are sorted or not mm. um, there so, are bigger picture things that I think ideally this summer they you know if they're twiddling their thumbs waiting for you know new signings or contract talks or agents to come back to them like have a look at other stuff going on in the club as well like let's sharpen up across the across the board mm. okay well yeah <laughs> 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 you sound really confident. <laughs> oh, you know, I just, I just can't, I can't, I can't, um, I just can't get my head around, you know, any of it. How it's got to this point where you know, you you talk about bigger picture and you talk about other other areas, and that's absolutely right. You know, we know there are issues with scouting. We know there are issues with recruitment. We know there there's the big issue with the manager, and then of course associated with the manager is coaching staff. And and if a new manager comes in, he's going to want to bring in new coaching staff. Um, yeah, look, I, I don't I don't necessarily buy into this catalyst for change um, mantra that's been that's been put out there through the back channels by, by Ivan Gazidis. But uh, look, I, it just feels, 
incredibly complicated. Maybe something will happen that we go, oh, oh, look, they've they've sorted it all out in one fell swoop. But I'm not necessarily, I'm not necessarily confident <laughs> about that. But um, anyway, I think that's uh, isn't, that's the kind of stuff that happens when you're fast asleep, right? <laughs> you are in a coma for about a year. You wake up and oh look, they figured it all out. Oh, listen, Amy, um, we better leave it there. But th- thank you as ever for your uh, contributions during this most enjoyable season. And uh, let's hope we're up for the cup <laughs> in a week's time. Cheers, Andrew. Good luck. Thank you very much indeed to Amy. You can find her on Twitter at Amy Lawrence seventy one. That is at Amy Lawrence seventy one. And of course, writing her stuff in the Guardian and the Observer too. Not necessarily the cheeriest conversation we've ever had on this podcast down the years, but uh, it is what it is. We are where we are. There's no point ignoring the issues. There are issues that this club has to deal with and has to address. How and when and why they're going to address them and who's going to address them. Those are the questions, the $64,000 million billion questions. I wish... I had the answers for you folks, but uh, sadly, sadly, I don't. What I do have for you is the chance to win uh, a couple of boiled mugs. Actually, I've got to give you the winners of last week's competition. I asked you a question. I can't remember what the question was. Oh, I do. It was something about who scored against Southampton the last time we won there. The answer, of course, was Robert Perez. Robert Perez. Uh, the winners are Aiden Hart, well done to you, and Robert Breeden. Well done to Aiden Hart and Robert Breeden. I will be in touch with you. We'll get the uh, vouchers out to you, and you can redeem those vouchers for a boil mug via Redbubble. Redbubble.com. They sell merchandise. If you just fancy buying a boil mug, you can go there as well. It's Redbubble.com. Um, and search for Arsblog probably is the best thing there's one product in my in my catalog and it is the mug so you can buy that with credit cards or paypal or whatever and i think we get uh euro or a dollar a mug or something so it's not a money spinner but if you just want one of the mugs you can get one you don't have to wait for a competition or or put all your hopes on winning one of the competitions because we do get a lot of entries uh, and thank you very much indeed for all of those um final week of the season final game of the season it's against Everton in the 2004-2005 season our final home game of the season was against Everton what I want to know is what was the score and who scored the fifth goal so in 2005 we beat Everton in our final home game of the season tell me the score and tell me who scored the fifth goal for Arsenal that night send your entry please to competition at arseblog.com that is competition at arseblog.com and I'll give you the winners it might not be on next week's show because we're doing the live show but uh, the week after if not uh, don't worry I'll I'll sort out the winners for that uh, at some point so it just gives you longer to enter you take your time, make a leisurely entry. I like it when people enter me leisurely or something. Anyway, um, that's the competition for this week to win yourself a mug. Looking ahead to the weekend, look, we don't have any team news. There's some doubts over Aaron Ramsey, Oxley Chamberlain still out, Lauren Koscielny. Can we risk Lauren Koscielny this weekend? Could he miss the cup final if we do that? He said during the week that he had to get like daily treatment for the rest of his career on an Achilles problem. He's been uh, enduring that, suffering that um, for quite some time. You remember Gary Neville earlier in the season? Complained about Koscielny. He said he's always going off. Koscielny is always going off. As if he's like taking himself off and just uh, removing himself from the action at a whim because, you know, he just can't be arsed. 
Koscielny, who started more games than any other player at that point and has done more 90 minutes for Arsenal and his country than almost any other player, maybe Alexis at this point. But he's got a bad Achilles. He's, he's having to manage that. It's having to be managed for him. Players, as they get into these periods of their career, very often have to play through what are, are, I suppose, chronic problems. They just don't go away. As you get older, these things take longer to heal. And if you if you go for the surgical option, you could rule yourself out for months and months. And maybe the surgery doesn't go as well as it should. Oh, poor Santi. Poor Santi Cazorla. I just, I just thought about him there. Poor old Santi. Anyway, hopefully he can come back. There's a story that he might be back in October. That would be a shame. But anyway, look, I, we all know what the permutations are. We can end up in the top four in two ways. One is that Liverpool drop points against Borough and we beat Everton top four. The other one is that Manchester City could lose away at Watford, who have just, <laughs> who've just sacked the manager that apparently nobody liked. So... Uh, I can't see them being, you know, up for it or trying to send him out on any kind of high. But if they lose to Watford, let's say 2-0, and we win 3-0 against Everton, I think that's the goal difference. Uh, I should check that out, shouldn't I? I should check out the goal difference and and just be really, really informative here for once. Let me have a look at the uh, the table here. Oh, come on. Why has the Premier League just changed its sight all of a sudden? Oh, I see what they've done there. Okay, the goal difference as it stands is, ooh, it's five, yeah, so, so, yeah, there's got to be a bit of a swing there in terms of goals. If neither of those things happen, Arsenal will finish fifth, and Arsenal will be playing in the Europa League. Next season in the Europa League for Arsenal, um, what can you do? Just get on with it, there's no choice. Um, for all the fun and frolics that's going to bring, it just adds another layer of complication to the other layers of complication we have going on right now. And look, before we go tonight, it is the final weekend of the Premier League season. Thank you, all of you who have listened throughout this season. I know it hasn't been easy. It hasn't been easy for any of us um, to sit through and to watch and to try and understand or or anything else. But I hope uh, over the course of the season, we've done our best to make sense of whatever the fuck has gone on and how the fuck it's gone on and why the fuck it's gone on. Uh, so I really do appreciate you all listening. It's uh, it's great to have you here. Thank you for sticking with us. I know some people, when it gets bad, they're like, no, can't do it. I just can't listen to anything Arsenal. But for those of you who have, thank you very much indeed. As I said, we'll try and keep the Arsecast going as much as possible during the summer and we'll have the Arsecast Extra as much as possible. But look... Let's keep fingers crossed for Sunday. We're all in this together at the end of the day. We all, whether we have the same opinions or not, more or less want the same thing, which is for Arsenal Football Club to be successful and for it not to wreck our fucking heads every weekend. Well, too many weekends, not every weekend. Um, That's it, folks. Uh, James and I will be here on Monday. Hopefully we're enjoying a goodly morning as Sunday goes our way. I'll keep everything crossed. I think you should too. Come on, Arsenal, and come on, Borough. Until the next one, folks. Cheers. Bye-bye.
And now on BBC Radio 4, a look at the life and work of Philip Collins. Once the drummer with prog rock band Genesis, he was a solo artist of some repute in the 1980s. Quite why his star dipped so much was beyond people until recently, and with me, the man behind the research which explains this in full, Professor Godfrey Twatchlock. Welcome to the show, Professor. Thank you for having me. Now, in the 80s, Collins had a string of top-chart hits with In the Air Tonight, Sudio, Easy Lover with Philip Bailey, and an abominable version of You Can't Hurry Love. After that, though, nobody ever heard from him again. Professor, what exactly have you uncovered? Well, first, what we did was we took all of Collins's music and we put it in a big pile. It took many years for us to find some interns who were brave enough to listen to it. They did listen to it, and unfortunately, we had to pay them substantial amounts of money. The courts found against us, saying this was cruel and unusual punishment. So we had to find another solution. What we did then was we invented a supercomputer, and we fed all of the music into the supercomputer. Now, with the processing power that this supercomputer has, it still took many, 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 many months for it to come up with an answer. But when it did, we were absolutely astounded. The simplicity of it, the clarity of it, it was... It was like a light going off above our heads. And what was that answer, Professor? What was it that made his popularity wane so greatly? Well, you see, it's, um, because he's a cunt. Thank you indeed, Professor Godfrey Twatchlock. Next on BBC Radio 4, Desert Island Discs. The guest this week is Nigel Farage. At least he thought it was Desert Island Discs. We just left the twat on a desert island. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.